On Trinity Sunday, last Sunday, I tried to make the case that because we are made in the image and likeness of God, our human nature is marked, imprinted by God's nature. And that because of that reality, there are certain aspects of God that are intended to flow out from us. That God pours himself out in love, and therefore our nature is to pour ourselves out in love. That God is dependent Father, Son, and Spirit, and so we are dependent beings by nature. And that unity is actually found in difference, not despite difference or not by eliminating difference, but unity is found in difference. And then I briefly mentioned how if we are to reject any aspect of who God is, any aspect of God's nature, what we do implicitly is we reject an aspect of our own human nature. And so what do we do when we have rejected a part of our nature, when we have allowed ourselves to become denatured? So for the last few days, I've been thinking a lot about food because we had our World Youth Day fundraiser dinner last night, and so I was spending a lot of time around food. I don't know if you know the chemistry of cooking meat, but it's the one thing that I remember from my undergraduate studies in chemistry class. When you cook meat, what you're doing is the protein that is in meat is this wrapping together of molecules. And as you heat up the meat, the protein slowly starts to unravel. And what happens when the protein unravels is it lets out the flavor and the juices that you enjoy. For those of you that like well-done shoe leather, what you've done is you've completely denatured the protein and there's no longer any flavor or any juice left in the meat. And so what you're trying to do as a cook is you're trying to find the perfect balance between allowing that protein to denature and let out the good things without completely destroying it. But when you denature a protein, can it be renatured? Can it come back together? So sometimes when a protein is denatured, all you have to do is remove the irritant and it'll come back. So sometimes that irritant is heat. Sometimes that irritant is something that's creating a difference in the pH level. And sometimes it's a chemical that's making it denature. You take that away, it snaps back together the way that it's supposed to be. Sometimes you denature a protein and it, you take away the irritant and it won't come back together. And there are special processes with chemicals that they can bring back that protein to where it needs to be. When we are denatured, when we reject a part of our nature, sometimes all we have to do is remove the irritant. Sometimes all we have to do is just remove the temptation, remove the sin, and we go back on our way. But sometimes the irritant has denatured us in a way that we cannot come back together by ourselves. There has to be an outside help for us to be renatured, reconfigured, put back together again. This is the Eucharist. This is the gift of Jesus Christ present in the Eucharist given for us. Pope Francis has said on more than one occasion during his papacy that the Eucharist is not a prize for the perfect, but a powerful medicine and nourishment for the weak. This is what we're being offered. 
we're being offered the remedy for the ways that we have allowed ourselves to become denatured by rejecting part of God and thereby rejecting a part of ourselves. And so when we come and receive the Eucharist, we are receiving that medicine to put us back together again, to conform us to Christ. So, just like last week, three things of the ways that Jesus, offering himself to us in this sacrament of the Eucharist, renatures us, puts us back together again. So when we deny our nature as being beings that need to pour ourselves out in love, when we would rather just accumulate things in our life that if I accumulate enough or if I accumulate the right things and put them in their order, then I will be at peace. When we fall into that trap, it's rejecting a part of our nature. But instead, Jesus pours himself out for us that he gives of himself to us first before he ever expects us to give of ourselves to others, that he gives himself to you first on the cross and then in the sacrament of the Eucharist. He sustains us. He gives us what we need so that we can hope to go out and give others what they need. And this brought to mind for me a cardinal from Vietnam. So when Catholics, Christians were being quite heavily persecuted in Vietnam not that long ago, Cardinal Francis Xavier Nguyen Van Thuan, he was arrested and imprisoned for 13 years. And nine out of those 13 years, he was in solitary confinement. And he was able to smuggle out little notes that he would write to his people. And he told them that I need some wine for my stomach aches. So the guards were nice enough to let some wine come in. And then they smuggled some hosts in a flashlight for him. And for nine years, he celebrated mass in the palm of his hand. He would put a few drops of wine in his palm and the host. And from memory, he would say the prayers of the mass and receive the Holy Eucharist every day for nine years. Now, I don't know what you know about psychology, but nine years in, in solitary confinement would mess with anybody's head. But Cardinal Nguyen Van Thuan, when he was finally released, Pope John Paul II called him up and said, hey, would you give me my Lenten retreat this year because I think you would have something to offer me. You can actually buy the book of that Lenten retreat. It's called Testimony of Hope. Jesus sustained him in the midst of the prison of his hell. He poured himself out to Cardinal Nguyen Van Thuan when he couldn't pour himself out anywhere because he was in solitary confinement. Jesus gives of himself to us first. Second one, dependence. That when we fall into the trap that I can be dependent on myself, that by my own efforts and my own strength, I will overcome whatever weaknesses and failures that exist in my life, and I persevere that if I just try harder and longer, I'll get to where I want to be. Jesus allows himself to be dependent on us. That when we become insatiable in our pursuits, Jesus reminds us that he willingly 
ties himself to us. I hate to bring this up, but I will because it's a good point of reflection. Back in the pandemic, when you couldn't receive the Eucharist, did it make a difference? Did you notice a difference in your life in terms of not being able to be dependent on this source of grace? And if you didn't, why? What were we forgetting? What were we missing in the way that we were approaching our life that maybe the Eucharist didn't make a difference? Or if it did, remind yourself of that period of your life where you were deprived, hungry, like the people of Israel, for the gift that was, being, that was lacking in your life. Mother Teresa recounts the story one time of visiting a senior's home in England, and she says this was a very, very nice senior's home. They had all of the nursing care that they could possibly want. They was a very comfortable senior's home with good food and good activities, and the seniors had everything that they could possibly want there. But when she walked in the doors of the senior's home, most of them were sitting around staring at the front doors. And so Mother Teresa asked one of the nurses that were there, why are they all looking at the front doors? And she said, because they're waiting and hoping that somebody will come and visit. They're dependent. We have this longing to be dependent. And so Jesus makes himself dependent on us when he offers himself in your hand, on your tongue, every time you come and receive Holy Communion. That no matter the state that you bring yourself to him, he gives himself equally to each one of us. Last one, difference. That when we reject difference, when we would rather just avoid people that are different than us, or when we would want everybody to be more like us, Jesus is the different one who offers himself to us. Way back from the early church, the church fathers would describe it this way, that when we eat food, we take food and it becomes part of us, right? We take all the nutrients and all the good things from the food and we assimilate them into our body, not the Eucharist. When we receive the Eucharist, we become part of Christ. When we willingly invite Jesus into our soul in receiving the Eucharist, we are saying, you, who are the Son of God, the perfect and eternal one, I want to be united to you. And when we do that, we allow ourselves to be pulled out of ourselves to be united to him who is wholly and completely different than us. And we find unity, communion, in that. This is how Jesus pours himself out. But as we heard with Moses, what we have to remember in that is that God allowed the Israelites to be hungry before he brought them manna. Because by being hungry, they were able to see their unwillingness to pour themselves out, their lack of dependence and their lack of wanting difference. And then they could accept the gift. The gift of the Eucharist is always a re-embodiment, a representation for us of the cross. It's first Jesus who poured himself out 
in utter dependence on the Father, who is completely different from all of the onlookers around and wanted to be united to them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And this is what is being offered to us as gift when we receive the Eucharist. Because He is our remedy. He is the one who puts us back together, who renatures us, who restores us to who we are intended to be. This is the gift that's offered in the Eucharist so that our nature, which is marked by God, that we denature by our own will, is restored to us by the gift of Jesus.